Hey, how you guys doing? Good, how are you? I'm great. Good. Good. So thank you, John and Ryan, for joining me for our GK webinar series. Um, this is a replay from uh, from a webinar we had about two and a half months ago. And um, and there we are, two and a half months, coronavirus, still in confinement. Although I'm in the office, actually. I think both of you guys are in confinement. Um, I, I really wanted to go back and talk about a lot of the things that we discussed last time. Um, that was uh, there was some some pretty pretty awesome uh, insights that you got you both gave on the real estate market, the mortgage market. So um, uh, I'll start with just giving. I'll let you guys give your introduction. I want to know a little more about your business and so forth, and then I'll I'll, I'll take it take it from there. John, sure. Hey everybody. Um, so I let's see. I've been in real estate now for about 17 years in total. Um, started as a mortgage broker. So Ryan, I feel your pain. <laughs> um, and. Uh, I then became a developer and uh, built some high-end spec homes, and then I transitioned over to the other side of the aisle and started selling real estate full-time, and I think it was about 2011, so about nine years now. I'm the director of the estates division at a company based in Beverly Hills called The Agency. Um, so we're highly renowned as probably the number one luxury brokerage here in Los Angeles. Um, I lead a team of about 10 people. Uh, last year, we did just shy of about $250 million, <clears throat> excuse me, um, which uh, ranked us uh, number 14 in the country last year. Um, and uh, yeah, excited to be here and talk a little bit about what's happening with the market. Nice. Thank you, John. So John knows what he's doing. Uh, <laughs> uh, my name is Ryan Grant and I run the Ryan Grant team at Ferry Mortgage. And uh, we, you know, we're fortunate to be one of the top lenders in the country. Uh, I think, you know, we'll help probably close to 1500 families this year for a total loan volume of about 1.2 billion. And we are in the midst of one of the most interesting times in the mortgage industry uh, that I've seen since I've been in it in 2005 when I started. And so uh, excited to talk about the ups and downs we're experiencing right now and uh, learn from you guys about uh, your respective industries as well. You mean the most interesting time in literally history, right? <laughs> yes. Um, no, thank you both for taking the time and, and from your incredibly busy, busy days, which is crazy, right? Uh, we're all confined, but you guys are super busy. So, so are we, um, when it makes sense of a lot of things that don't make sense right now. So I think that's really the, the, the number one thing here. Um, Gerber Kawasaki prides itself in, in being a resource for our clients in anything that relates to making financial decisions. So that's why I have you guys here. You guys are both experts in your fields. You guys are both awesome. Uh, disclosure standpoint, uh, John is, 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 is a friend and a client um, and obviously one of my most trusted real estate advisors. Um, so what I wanted to do is just um, kick it off. You know, we're, it's COVID, you know, coronavirus, pandemic. Uh, what's, what's happening? What's new? What's, what's, how's, how's business, John? Let's, let's start there. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a broad question. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're busy as hell. Explain to me why yeah. that is. Busy as hell pretty much sums it up. Yeah, no, that we are, the market's just on fire right now. Um, it really, so I guess we last spoke, you said, what, about two and a half months ago? Yeah. So that's an interesting time looking back now because the real estate market really kind of started its recovery, I would say, kind of like early to mid-May. Um, that's when real estate agents became essential service providers again because before we weren't even legally allowed to be out showing property. Yeah. And as, as, as some restrictions started to loosen, as people started to reintegrate back into society, the market just picked up, I mean, day over day, week over week, and really picked up a ton of momentum. Um, if you can, I'll obviously speak more specifically about what's happening here in Los Angeles, but just sort of on a more macro level, if you look at the difference between May to June nationwide, May was the slowest month in real estate nationwide that we've seen since October of 2010, and June was one of the biggest months we've seen on record. Um, as a company, for us, the agency is actually our biggest month ever. So it, it's pretty remarkable. I mean, for myself and my team, you know, we had 13 escrows last month, um, which is, do you, you know. Do you, do you attribute that to just people back back from quarantine? Like, hey, I just need to buy a new home. Do I need to get a bigger space? 
or it's just some pent up demand that hasn't happened in the front. Is there, can you pinpoint it? Can you even? Yeah, you know, like anything, I don't think it's ever any one thing. I think it's right. a combination of different things that you know, sort of led us to where we are. Um, obviously, a low interest rate environment is, is helping to fuel this. No question, that's playing a big part. And of course, Ryan will speak to that, I'm sure, later. Um, I also think that, I think that a lot of people have sort of come to a place of acceptance that, okay, if this is going to be the quote-unquote new norm, at least for the foreseeable future, yeah. I want a bigger home office. I want a bigger backyard. I want a pool. I want things that are going to allow me to be more comfortable in this space. Um, you know, coming out of May into June, I think we were propelled by just a general sense of restlessness. People were eager to get out of the house. Um, and I think that combined with um, kind of a release of the bottleneck of inventory that had been pent up in the months prior, yeah. got a lot of activity going in the market. But, you know, the other big part about this that I'm seeing, particularly in the higher end arena, is that COVID has actually shined a big spotlight on all of the wonderful attributes of what it is to live in Los Angeles. Sure. Right. Most people don't want, if you think about most other major metropolitan cities, they have one thing in common, which is they all center around their downtown. Right. Downtown's the hub. That's where everyone lives. They congregate, they work, which means it's comprised of, you know, vertical stack living, concrete jungle, really condensed in there. LA is very different. LA is, you know, completely spread out. And yeah. I think that having that space is one of the things that people are seeking right now. So I'm having a lot of clients moving here from New York, San Francisco, London, Tokyo, you name it because of the space that you're able to have here. And of course the weather plays a huge part. You know, for example, I have a client that just moved out from New York last week. They have a great setup in New York, right? They have a 4,000 square foot apartment overlooking the park. It's not a bad place to be, right. but you have a hot muggy winter followed by a cold bleak winter stuck inside that apartment. Yeah. And they, you know, they got three kids. They want a pool. They want a yard. They want to be able to live indoor, outdoor. And that's actually, despite the rising number of cases that we all see on CNN happening here in LA, that's bringing a lot of new customers and a lot of new people here. I, I, I mean, I, I'm getting same, same conversation with clients. We have clients all over the country. And a lot of clients that tell us, we would love to be in LA right now. Um, however, it's not a cheap city to live in. Right. Is, is that is, is that is, is that still making a I got You can go and live in Denver. You can go and live in, you know, Austin. Maybe the weather is not as good, but are those cities going to do better in this environment. They certainly might. I mean, I think the answer to that question is it's all relative. Um, in the higher end arena, in the luxury space, L.A. is actually a tremendous value, comparatively speaking. If you look at what it costs on a price per square foot basis to live in New York or San Francisco or London or any of the number of those other cities I just mentioned, you know, you're paying upwards of it could be three thousand, five thousand, even more per square foot to be confined to I hate to say it, but to a box. You're confined to an apartment where maybe you have a little patio, as opposed to, you know, out here, you know, a thousand, two thousand, maybe three thousand square feet at the most, and that's for something ultra, ultra high end. Yeah. Um, so I think that in the luxury arena, L.A. had been sort of a sleeping giant for a number of years. And then five, six, seven years ago, the eyes of the real estate world really got fixed on L.A. And people that always kind of looked at L.A. as a place to visit previously now want a place. They want to park some kind of residency here. Even if that's a few weeks or a few months, they want to have some type of base here. And that's that's it's. L.A. is a different city than it was five years ago, ten years ago. And I think that's a big part of it for the sort of next rung down, yeah, I think that there's a strong argument to be made to Denver or Portland or any number of those cities that perhaps might be a more affordable place to live. Mm -hmm. um, it really depends, you know, like everything, yeah. how, how long we're going to be in this. Right. We'll get to that. Uh, Ryan, I know you're, uh, you're in Tahoe right now. Uh, yeah. Amazing place to spend summer. Uh, talk to me a little bit, first of all, what made you decide just to get out of the you live in you in Orange County, what made you decide to get out of town? Obviously you have the opportunity to live in town, but talk a little bit about if, if that's a trend that you're seeing with mortgages and people trying to buy new homes in other places and so forth. It is, yeah. So we're you know, we're licensed in I think eighteen different states at the moment. And we've we've done that strategically over the past few years because we were already seeing the flight out of California for you know, affordability reasons, tax reasons. 
And then when COVID hit, we started seeing it a lot more. So Idaho is a big hotspot. Um, you know, we're starting to see people move to different parts of Colorado, different parts of Utah, uh, different parts of Oregon. And so you just look at these places and there's not a lot of cases of COVID and you get a lot of land and you're outside and you're not congested. And so and that was, you know, we initially came up here, we, we bought a place and I just said, look, if I'm working in my home office in Orange County or I'm working in a home office here, it's the same camera I'm staring into, right? <laughs> you might as well uh, be able to enjoy where you live. And so I think that there, that is definitely playing a part, not to mention, you know, space for home offices or casitas or granny flats if, you know, if people yeah. want to move parents in so they can kind of stay in the bubble. Uh, so I think all those issues are playing into, you know, kind of the mindset of why the consumer is making the decisions they're making. Makes sense. Makes sense. I mean, I I know I know the desert is really it's really hot. Not just temperature, but <laughs> the market is 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 really really hot. Uh, I have maybe three or four clients personally trying to buy homes there now. So I think yeah. a lot of people are thinking about, hey, what 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 other places we need to be. Um, the areas, sorry, sorry to interrupt. The, the areas again, not surprisingly, we're seeing a lot of activity right now. Are anywhere that's within like you know a, a short driving distance from a big hub. So for example, Napa is super hot right now because for anyone that's in you know Silicon Valley or San Francisco, it's easy yeah. enough to get back in the city if you need to, but you're far enough removed that you feel like you have some space. You're out in the country. Right. Malibu is super hot right now. Montecito, Santa Barbara, Palm Springs. I mean, for all the obvious reasons that we just stated, that these right. these sort of you know areas out on the fringe are are really hot at the moment. Do you, do you think people are, are looking at those spaces maybe to be even a primary residence and there's maybe commute back into the city? I, you know, again, I, I'll probably say this 18 different times, 18 different ways before the end of this, but it just it all depends on how long this lasts. Like, for example, you know, this client that I'll use them as I'll just pick on them for the moment as the same example. It just moved out here from New York. Right. They want to be in L.A. for the same reason they want to be in New York. A, I'm sure their, their business is here or if you want to those markets, but also proximity. Proximity to nightlife, restaurants, shopping, and so forth. That proximity only has value if we can actually utilize it. If if things start to reopen, we can go to restaurants and go shopping and go to the theater. Well, then that has value. If we can't, that value diminishes. So it's just in direct correlation to how long we're we're, going to live like this. So none of us is a doctor. Uh, Neither one of us is... uh, has any pandemic uh, experience, but I'm sure as you guys have, I'm asked all the time, when is going to be over? What do you guys expect? And so forth, right? And there is, there is some positive news on the vaccine side of things, right? But we all as professionals have to kind of make some plans for our businesses, for our clients to figure out really what what's happening. Give me your, if, if you have, a, I don't know, if, if you have a, some kind of a crystal ball, what does that look like, John? What does that look like, Ryan? That's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> I don't want to I'll, I'll, let, I'll let Dr. I'll let Dr. Grauman go first. Yeah. Um, excellent. Thank you. Thank you. I'll, I'll kick it over to you in a moment, Professor. Yeah. Um, I, you know, here's what I'm seeing right now. Right now, what I'm seeing is that. You heard me talk when we spoke a couple months ago about just basic supply and demand economics as that relates to real estate. And right now there is still enough demand relative to the amount of supply that we have that it's not only helped prices to stabilize, but believe it or not, has actually increased prices in certain areas, which is crazy to think about, rising rising home values in the middle of a pandemic. It would not be... Um, you know, it would not be unreasonable to look six, 12 months out particularly in a city like LA that's hugely driven by entertainment and tourism, two industries that are just getting hammered right now, and think that at a certain point, there's just going to be more unemployment, you know, entertainment as it relates to like live events and so forth certainly isn't coming back anytime soon, and that there's going to be less buyers in the market, perhaps more people that need to sell, which will create more inventory or supply in the market that's going to create an imbalance here, and... You know, the thing I see shift real estate probably as much as, if not more than anything else, is psychology. It's when does the psychology change that the chatter starts to become that the market's going down? When does that start to become the self-fulfilling prophecy? Because that can really take, that that can influence the market as much as anything. Um, But right now, again, even with all the different reports we're all seeing on the news every day, the housing market here, I'm seeing multiple offers on (laughs) 
tons of stuff across the board at all different price points. Um, so I'm hopeful that LA is one of those markets that will weather the storm and maybe there is a correction, but the correction just kind of more stabilizes the market, maybe a, just a very soft landing. Um, but there's some bleak indicators ahead as well. So it's, it's, that's about, I don't know if I can give you more crystal balls. My crystal balls, that's fair. about all I can. It's fair, it's fair. Ryan, I'll. Yeah, so <laughs> there's been a longstanding theory that the, the housing market recovery from the Great Recession was going to be kind of the weakest from 2008 to 2019. That was just in large part because demographics weren't that favorable for housing, right? And so what a lot of people didn't account for when COVID hit was the demographics of the millennial generation and the baby boomers lining up with the right kind of timeframes for housing for, for first-time home buyers and for downsizing or, or retirement housing, combine that with you know the lowest mortgage rates in the history of mankind, then you have the situation we're in today, right? So like 2008 to 2019, there the demographics were too young and they were too old, right? So we weren't seeing the the movement, we weren't seeing the demand, and actually in 2014, it was actually the lowest year in for purchase applications in the from 28 to 2008 to 2019 and rates were below four and a quarter for that entire year right? even that entire cycle and so it doesn't take it's not just interest rates that's moving this it's the demand for housing because of the demographics being so overpopulated in those two markets right and so what we've seen you know it's funny that we did this what two and a half months ago the week after we did our, our first one we had the first uptick in year-over-year year purchase applications, and it, it has been positive for nine weeks in a row. The last five weeks were 21%, 18%, 15%, or the last four weeks, and 33% last week. We're up 33% in purchase applications year-over-year, um, year, right? And last year was a, a really great year, right? Economically, it was a great year. Stock market was doing well. You know, Unemployment was at an all-time low. Interest rates were really low, right? We were, had three-and-a-half rates last year. So it, it's really more of a matter of the economics of demographic. And then secondly is that there's still 138 million employed workers. Sure. Right? Like we're normally at 160 million. So obviously we're, we're down there, but that 22 million worker gap, unfortunately those people were in the kind of lower income tier and yep. typically weren't going to be in that home buyer demographic anyways. And so when you look at what it takes to create a stable market demand, it's only 4 million mortgage buyers per year, which keeps the market stable, yeah, right? Yeah. So people think about unemployment and these numbers. And, basically of the employed people, right? Right. Yeah. Well, and so, you know, th there's, there's three things that I think will impact real estate in a negative way, right? One is a, an overwhelming fear of this, if this virus kind of spirals out of control, yeah. right? That, that could have a negative impact. It will create kind of desperation selling. And if that desperation selling is not met with demand to pick up that inventory, that will be a challenge. But right now, and, and John could probably speak well to this, we could actually use some desperation selling, right? Oh. There's way more demand than there is inventory, right? Yeah. So we're seeing a, that's that's what's creating such a spike in prices. I mean, we're having clients that are offering 5% above asking price and still getting beat. Yeah. Um, and then lastly would just be is if government tightens lending, right? So if there's this overwhelming belief that you know something negative is going to really be impacted that's when we'll start to see the low down payment loans go away the you know the bank statement or the non-qualified mortgage programs will disappear again the jumbo products will really tighten down because they've opened back up pretty substantially since we've talked last so yeah so i want to talk about that so Today, I think I looked at the 10 years at 60 basis points, right? Rates yeah. are super low. Actually, I, I, I watched what we did a couple months ago, and you, you said that rates should be much lower than that, and they have dropped quite a bit since then. I just refinanced my house at 2.65%, and I'm yep. in all of my clients literally refinancing at this point, yep. right? Can you talk a little bit about what's driving that and, and, and how long that's going to last a little bit? Well, it should be lower. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you look at the spread where, you know, the spread between the the 10 year and the 30 year is the largest it's ever been. Um, and it's really just a product of two things. One, 
fear, right? Uh, uncertainty. Yep. Um, and that's, you know, fear around this gets worse and then you start seeing defaults and, and lower rates. So there's a little bit of a hedge there. The second thing is just capacity, right? You, you go to a, a restaurant and there's a line around the door or line around the building. You're not going to go in and haggle on the price, right? And so lenders are doing the same thing. There's just, they don't have to lower price. And if they did lower price, they'd be even more overwhelmed than they are today, which is yeah. almost hard to believe, right? Like the pain and stress and pressure that mortgage companies are feeling right now is at an all-time high. I mean, we're seeing people that are quitting the industry, right? They're making more money than they ever made in their life, but they're working 14-hour days and everyone else's external pressures, which are at an all-time high, are rolling downhill to the lender. And we're up 70% year over year in production, and we didn't hire 70% more people last year. Wow. So that's where you start to see... You know, before this call started, John was saying, you know, he's, he's seeing a lot of lender challenges and it's clear to see why. I mean, there's just not enough human beings in the mortgage world to facilitate the amount of demand that is happening in the mortgage space today. John, you wanna, you want, you wanna take a stab at that? I'm, I'm just taking notes over here. I, I yeah. think everything Ryan said is, is brilliant and spot on. Yeah. Um, I refinance with Bank of America, maybe too much to share. And my, my transaction took four months. It was insane, yeah. you know. It just—it basically started before COVID, and you know, it's kind of—it's it's insane. And we see in this across the board, as you said, because there's no capacity. What? What? Is it? Isn't the digital tools should come in here and start helping, or just banks are behind? Like they not have not really got got up to this, or? So digital tools were starting to work in a normal world, right? Because we could look at your tax returns and. You know, we could have a digital imaging system that gives us your 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 income, right? Or we could pull the information from the IRS. Well, now we have what's called COVID guidelines. They're legitimately called COVID guidelines. Wow. And the COVID guidelines state that you have to overlay a lot of different checks and balances to ensure that that person is still earning that level of income. So all of the automated or AI or all of the you know normal software that was starting to pick up steam has really become rendered useless because it can't tell me if a self-employed person who was making really great income in 2019 is making any income right now, mm. right? Or if someone who <clears throat> made great income, but they had commission and bonus and overtime last year, I don't know if that commission bonus and overtime is still happening, right? Sure. So, and then we're trying to call for verifications of employment to figure this stuff out. And, you know, Sandy from HR is at home with her kids. So, Sure. We can't get a hold of Sandy from HR to tell us what's happening in the, you know, with that person's income. And so it, there's just delay after delay. And then escrow companies are, are, are slow. Title companies are overwhelmed. Uh, appraisals are taking forever. And they're challenged to find comps because of the lack of sales in the last three to six months. Um, so, yeah, it's tough. So, so basically, best rates ever just can't get it. Just can't make it, make it happen. Just get in line. Yeah. Right, get in line and wait. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, John. I, I mean, he he mentioned COVID guidelines. How mm -hmm. is showing houses? How is the process of you know dealing with listings and so forth changed during COVID? Like, can you share? It's really loosened up, at least here in LA, in the last you know two and a half months since we last spoke. Um, you know, back in like April, we were all scrambling to just try to find ways to do everything virtually. We were doing these, uh, what's called a 3D Matterport tour, which allows yeah. you to literally take a 3D tour of the home, which is it's a remarkable technology. Um, but I get maybe, I don't know, 10%, and that might be high, of the showing requests that I get are for virtual showings. Really? 90% or more are in person. Um, and it's just, you know, it's just standard precautions. Everybody, of course, wears a mask. Right. Um, so I, I showed a property earlier today where I walked up and they literally had, I mean, they kind of made a cute thing of it, a COVID station where like <laughs> it was right outside the front door and it was put on your booties, put on your gloves. Here's your hand sanitizer. If you got your mask, here's one for you. So, you know, it depends whether the house is vacant or occupied. Vacant houses, of course, are just, you know, infinitely easier to show right now. Occupied homes, it's case by case. Um, I have a couple of listings um, that I literally can't show because the owner has just said my family's there and I, I, I don't feel comfortable. And obviously, you know, I think the one sort of overarching thing here, taking real estate out of this is everybody just needs to do what they feel comfortable with right now. Sure. As a 
everything, right? Just that's you, just how you live right now. You have to do what you, what feels right for you. So, um, I'll tell you candidly, there's some people taking it more seriously than others. Sure. I have showings where people are like, you know, very serious about wearing masks. I have others where they walk in and go, do I have to wear this? You know, so, but that's, again, that that's sort of a, you know, yeah. a, a reflection or a microcosm of, you know, the rest of society right now. Right. Um, so yeah, we, we are, we're out showing. Are you, so, so maybe this has something to do with it or not. We're seeing a lot of pocket listings. A lot of clients have tell us, Hey, there's a pocket listing here. Is that, Partially because of COVID, people don't want to really put their house in the market. Is that? Can you go over that a little bit? Maybe even explain on that Yeah, I'm not. I'm personally not seeing a huge spike in pocket listings. They've always been prevalent here in LA for, again, kind of obvious reasons because we live in a market where we have a lot of high-profile individuals, many of whom don't want it publicly known that their house is on the market. Sure. You know, they they don't want a bunch of strangers or looky loos or you know fans coming through their house and what have you. You know, I always say you can define a seller by their level of motivation. And we, you know, live in a town where a lot of people aren't particularly, you know, what I would call real sellers. They don't, you know, have this very frustrating combination of high expectation and low level of motivation. <laughs> it, you know, it makes for a very difficult job. So um, a lot of them just kind of want to dip a toe in the water. And I think that perhaps has been heightened by COVID that... You know, maybe they just don't want to have a bunch of strangers, you know, people coming through in their home unless they're, like, really qualified. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, pocket listings have actually become a lot more challenging. This is somewhat off topic, but the MLS made a pretty radical change to our guidelines within the last couple of months as it relates to pocket listings that don't really allow us to be able to mark. If you have a signed listing and you try to market that off market by, like, sending it out an e-blast or putting it on your social media, excuse me, and they catch you, they'll fine you $5,000. Wow. They, they want that inputted into the MLS. And that has nothing to do with anything COVID-related. That's just them trying to control the market. Yeah, just, how, how can they do that? Like, what, what's MLS's role? Like, the MLS's role is essentially to be a, um, a platform to be able to showcase listings. And right. they are concerned that too many listings are being sold without them taking a piece. And not that they're participating in commissions by any means. And again, I'm getting somewhat off topic, but it, it has, it's become a real factor in terms of how we use mark, uh, pocket listings to our benefit because we sell a lot of real estate off market. Again, in a town like LA where a lot of people would prefer to be discreet, it's really hard to keep big sales out of the news. So people would prefer to try to fly under the radar if they can. Um, and, you know, look, as an agent, we used to be the gatekeeper. So if you wanted information about a property, you had to come to one of us. Today, Zillow, Redfin, Trulia, there's so much information readily available just by having an internet connection that a pocket listing holds a lot of value as an agent because you have something that, that the consumer doesn't know about, and that inherently has value. So okay. thank you for that. That's a good segue because that's, that's the world I work in or I live in, which is some of these tech companies that trade on, on public markets. Right, and and they all have done super super well. I've, when we talked a couple months ago, you know, everyone was wondering is Redfin going to make it or Zillow going to make it? There's no doubt their stock is staying. They're going to be around for a long time. Their yeah. valuation is sky high. Can you tell tell me a little bit about how they've been helping you? And I and I want you to to get in trouble because I know you have a personal relationship with Zillow and so forth. But can you talk maybe about that relationship? How are they helping you guys? Are they uh, allowing you to, to get more leads and, and just have these digital tools per se? Sure. Um, yeah. So you mentioned earlier when you were asking Ryan about like, you know, are there going to be ways to kind of streamline the process by just making it more automated? And there's been a lot of talk about companies like Redfin and Zillow kind of coming for our jobs. And, you know, the same way that the travel agency, when the travel agent rather went the way of the dinosaurs, our real estate agents and mortgage brokers to follow suit. The way I view it is, Zillow and Redfin and companies like that are essentially lead generation platforms. They're not here to take our place. There's too many touch points in the transaction that re require you know, human hands and involvement. They're here to help generate leads because the reality is more people are coming to find homes online, especially during COVID when most people are just sat at home and everyone's online. So they tried to, they tried to start buying real estate. Started they are. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, Zillow's got into um, what's called Zillow Offers, where they go in and make offers to buy your property. They have yes. Zillow Home Loans now, which Ryan's probably familiar with. That they're you know they're trying to you know carve out a little niche right there in the in the mortgage market. Um, they're a, both a technology company and a real estate company, but they also I think unless they're you know plotting <laughs> behind closed doors are not looking to take out the real estate agent. I think I don't think that they're looking to make enemies of us. I think they're looking to, hey, this is the world that we live in today. They both came up with really great interfaces, really great, easy, user-friendly platforms. And the Zestimate might be like the greatest algorithm ever created. It's not reliable and not accurate for everyone that is looking at that to determine the value of your home. But it's a really catchy tool that um, drives a lot of traffic to their site. So... Yeah, I, I'm one of Zillow's preferred partners here in Los Angeles. Um, they are, I'll just share, they, they, they're making a radical shift in their platform. Yeah. Um, they've always done what's just called market-based pricing, wherein you just simply pay a certain amount of money to them to receive leads in a certain zip code. Mm -hmm. um, what they've realized, the flaw with that is that anybody with a checkbook and a real estate license can do it. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people out there that aren't particularly professional that dropped the ball and they were finding that 52% of the time that someone inquires about a property, they weren't even receiving a return phone call. Wow. So, you know, let's equate them to another technology company like Uber. Imagine yeah. you call an Uber and 52% of the time they don't send a car. Yeah. They recognize that that's not a sustainable model, that they have to completely change who, who they are and how they do business and what agents they associate themselves with. So they selected... 10 agents in LA County to partner with. And unfortunately I was one of them. Um, so we're, we're doing a tremendous amount of business with them right now. And people you would not expect to be online hmm. looking at houses, people who have business managers and attorneys and handlers and so forth are online looking at houses because it allows you to be discreet because you can do it at your own pace and discretion. You know, no one's trying to sell you. You're not walking to a car dealership. Someone's trying to, you know, they can do it quietly and privately and, and then, but the moment there's engagement, we, you know, the door opens. That's amazing. I'm I'm glad to see that because, as you said, it's buying a home is is not only is the biggest purchase most people do, but it's just also nerve wracking. Like there is so many things that can go wrong, and for me to for someone to try to do it by themselves is just ridiculous. So um, I'm glad they they're providing the the, the leads to the good agents because that's really how it should be. Yeah. Agreed. I, I think that overall, that's what we're kind of seeing right now across lots of different industries, but certainly in ours is that there's going to be, well, our industry is so busy right now, maybe it's not applicable in this moment, but there's going to be some weeding out of, you know, the sort of um, the casual agent, you know, the agent that does a deal, you know, every couple of months as opposed to people that really are focused on doing this as a career. Yep. Yeah. And what about you, uh, Ryan? Are you seeing any, any, any digital players coming in and, and helping with in the mortgage market, I mean, Quicken Loans is one of the high, most expected, uh, highest valued IPO coming into the market next few weeks. You know, that's a big player in the in, in, in the mortgage market. Any any other things that you're seeing on there? Yeah, I mean, th there's always going to be a a play for the the cheap version, right? Like, if you're the lowest interest rate. Uh, and you can you have a, a good enough system where you can push people through it continually. There's going to be revenue to be earned there. Um, Quicken's interesting because they're definitely not the cheapest. No, they actually are one of the most expensive. Um, they just happen to advertise more than most. And when you say expensive, the cost of the loan or wait? <laughs> yeah, the cost. Well, both. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, they 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 charge notoriously the most points of any lender. Uh, the rates are the highest, and their whole model is that they can take advantage of the majority of the country um, that just doesn't have the educational background to shop that or know the difference. And they're just happy to get a loan. And for the people that say, Hey, look, I don't want to pay these points. They just lower the points at that point at that time. So um, they just do something really well, right? They, they create 21 million leads in 2019. Right. Wow. And so <clears throat> that's the game, right? Is it, you know, the consumer is going to have a really clear choice um, moving forward. Right. And, we're actually on the forefront of trying to change our industry for the better, not only uh, the mortgage industry, but the real estate industry as well. So our art of homeownership platform is derived around the fact that you can have the cheapest realtor or the cheapest mortgage. That's fine. You just need to know what you're leaving on the table. Right. And most realtors and lenders haven't figured out the value play. 
right? They, they talk about customer service and experience and those types of things, which I think are very much subjective. Uh, but the real estate professional and the mortgage professional who can look a client in the eye and say, look, no one's ever become successful by managing their ex expenses, right? Or saving on commission or, you know, getting yeah. a point lower interest rate. Yeah. People grow their success and they, they grow their generational wealth and they become wealthier by guidance, advice, and planning. Same reason people hire you, Hatem. Same reason people hire you, John, is that we can actually help them not just to go into debt, which is what most mortgage companies do, but we can actually help them with their growth, right? We can help them plan for long-term real estate goals. We can help them you know, manage generational wealth with parents and children, and we can help them save money at every turn and avoid bad decisions. Um, but it takes real care and insight. And you know, I think we're one of the only mortgage practices that I know of in the country that has a, a whole division of our company that does nothing but engages with our past clients to try and continue to offer advice, guidance, and seven different unique services that help them for 30 plus years, because there's a big difference between just owning a home and being a successful homeowner. Yeah. We're not interested in helping people just own homes, right? Like we want to help them become very successful homeowners. And so there will be that divergence. Um, and if, if, if we don't solely solve that problem, other people will. Um, but what that, we're very much looking forward to that too, right? Because you just pick the cheapest or pick the most valuable. Just don't choose anybody in the middle. And that's unfortunately where 99% of our industries lie. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I saw I saw that platform. It's it's pretty impressive, and, and, and I'm with you, man. If if you can provide good education, you're gonna have a client for life, you know. And, and people will appreciate you for that. Um, I'll shift gears a little bit. I think we have about ten minutes left before we take some questions. And um, John, you said last time we spoke that uh, real estate is a lagging indicator. Yeah, and, and you know, and 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 obviously, we talked about why. You know, we haven't seen that 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 breakdown in, in pricing and and why the the market is so strong. But can we talk maybe a little bit about the commercial market? Maybe high level. I know you don't do a lot of commercial stuff, but you know, we have some clients who are trying to invest in multifamily and so forth. What are you seeing out there? What what's what, what's what are what what are the trends? Yeah, I mean, as you said, I I'm I'm not a commercial broker, so I can talk about this just more high level. Um, you know. I don't, first of all, I, I don't have any clients that are really looking at buying multifamily right now because, because of the moratorium on evictions at the moment, nobody wants to touch it because that's, you know, that's the sort of safety net or, or, you know, a uh, rip cord that every landlord has is, Hey, if I have a deadbeat tenant, I can always evict them. Well, with the moratorium in place, you can't do that. And thus, I mean, look, I have one client who's done. 350 million in multifamily commercial over the last five years. And he called me up just a couple months ago and he said, well, I'm not touching anything in multifamily for at least the next 12 months. So let's go look at some houses. <laughs> and he's like, I'm not going to sit around and do nothing. So let's go look at, you know, flipping some houses. Um, it's a nice problem for me to have. Um, so, so, you know, as, as multifamily goes, I think that there's just a lot of uncertainty there um, for landlords. And thus, I have a lot of people not really interested in touching it. And I'm not seeing much of it coming to market. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as, you know, other commercial types of assets go, like, let's say, a retail space. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that one's rather obvious. Nobody really wants to touch retail at the moment. I think that there will be a lot of opportunities um, in the coming 12 to 18 months, I think that unfortunately there's going to be an extremely high rate of commercial lease defaults. And I think landlords are going to be forced to have to renegotiate a lot of lease terms. Yep. And, you know, a lot of them won't, um, yep. a lot of them won't, won't resign, won't re up. And I think that there's going to be a lot of opportunities there, but I think the floor is quite a, far, quite a ways out. Yep. Yep. Ryan, you have any comment on that? Like what's, what's going on and, in, in that market, in that lending market. Yeah, I mean, obviously every different class of commercial is going to have a different impact. You know, I think the the residential space of commercial, which is anything five units or more, um, we're just seeing really low cap rates on that stuff. And the multiples, like the rent multiples are like 25 years. And it's just, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense from an investment perspective. I think that people are just asking too much for it. And granted, there's some great long-term capabilities there, but it still has to make financial sense. It has to pencil out. And with the, you know, the restrictions around being able to really manage your tenants, uh, if they are paying or if they're not, it's a little bit of a, 
a risky situation to buy into right now. Uh, I think from a commercial space, I mean, you know, we, we have, I think, I don't know, as a company, it's an ungodly amount of square footage uh, as a, you know, 8,000 employee company. Um, and very few people are in their offices, right? And so, you know, you're going to have you know, just a lot of challenges there. And so, um, you know, I think that there will be some opportunities, but they're going to be few and far between. And uh, I just, I'm not up to speed on the market enough to really speak intelligently to it. So uh, I think from a high level perspective, it's, it's concerning, but I'm sure there's some gems in there somewhere. Yeah. yeah I think just from like a yeah, just common sense perspective, you know, look, we're all working from home right now. So Ryan, your perfect example, you know, you guys have 8,000 employees, as you said, an ungodly amount of, you know, square footage to accommodate that. You know, we as a real estate company have offices, you know, all over the world, but predominantly here in Southern California on the West coast. And no one's in them right now. Everyone's working from home. So, you know, if this is another six or 12 months, okay, then, you know, people will eventually kind of want to get back into those spaces where you can collaborate, that's not working, <laughs> collaborate and congregate. Um, but if this goes, you know, heaven forbid, you know, 18, 24, 36 months, people are going to adjust to the, to, to making this the new norm. And those spaces are just going to become less relevant and therefore less valuable. And, you know, again, that, 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 that's a terrifying prospect for the commercial world. Um, I've spoken to a couple of colleagues and buddies in that space, and they're, they're pretty scared about what the next, you know, 12 months has in store. Yeah, I mean, we, we deal with a lot. We have a lot of clients in commercial real estate. Um, and it's just, it's not pretty right now. I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, I think this working from home, home trend is, is, is here to stay. Even if, even if COVID is gone tomorrow, a lot of people are realizing that maybe they don't need to be in the, in an office three five days a week, you know, and 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 thankfully all these digital virtual tools are very good and people are used to it. Like our 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 productivity ratios for our client meetings has actually increased because they are in Zoom. Because people are like, I can meet with you for thirty minutes on Zoom. I just don't want to drive to Santa Monica to come and see you. Yeah. You know? So. You know the, the single greatest byproduct of all this so far, no, no, no joke, is what it's done to the traffic. That's, right. <laughs> no joke. That is the, the biggest objection most people have about LA because there's not much to object to. It's a beautiful place to live year-round weather and so forth. Is the traffic. The traffic's just a pain in the ass. Yeah. You can get anywhere right now at any time of day. I was driving home from Beverly Hills. I live in Studio City. At five o'clock on Monday, that would ordinarily, I might have gotten home at like 8 a.m. on Tuesday, ordinarily. <laughs> and I mean, I flew home in 20 minutes. So if that, let's just say for the sake of conversation that, that this stay-at-home trend does stay in place or even 20% of it, 50% yeah. of it, what it's going to do to the quality of living here in L.A. and your ability to get from one point of town to the other is only going to, I think, increase the value of what it is to live here. Yeah, I think the commercial operators are going to have to reimagine their spaces, right? Because, yep. you know, people are still going to want to, you know, you know, have that sense of community and that feel. But I may not need, you know, 30 cubicles and 20 offices, right? I may need a couple conference rooms and a, you know, collaborative workspace where, you know, I can decrease my footprint by 80%. And, you know, we can go meet on Mondays and Fridays and do a happy hour. Like, you know, just you still get the community, but you don't need to always be there. And I think that reimagining those commercial, you know, lease or office spaces is going to be probably priority number one. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And, and I think there is, there is some smart architects and, and smart developers that are thinking through this right now. And, and I think that's going to be a hot trend for the next few years. But John, yes, I totally agree with you, man. This traffic situation in LA is, is just fantastic right now, and it's just, it's just amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying that part of it. Yeah. Um, uh, we're we're about done. Um, uh, thank you guys for taking the time. I really appreciate. It. I know you both are super busy. Um, I I just um, I'm just gonna open it up for some questions. See if we have if you have any. I, I kind of went over the place and we talked about everything that I really wanted to, to speak of. Is there any other comments you guys want to add? Any, any things that haven't, we haven't covered? I think we covered a pretty broad spectrum. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would just add, you know, if you're a consumer and you're trying to buy a home, 
or you're trying to refinance, just make sure the expectations are set well. Like don't, don't have an expectation that is not consistent with what your lender or your real estate agent is telling you. And so um, whether it's getting an offer accepted in a challenging market, whether it's time frame on a close of escrow or a refinance, um, you know, make sure the expectations are there. It'll just make going through it a lot easier. Uh, and you won't have the same level of stress and anxiety uh, because you'll just know it's normal, right? I mean, nothing is normal compared to six months ago now, not to mention real estate or finance, but any aspect of life. And so just to uh, practice gratitude and, and uh, <laughs> patience and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll all get through it together. Yeah, I think a, a huge part of what Ryan and I both do day in and day out is manage expectations. And, you know, for me, one of the biggest misconceptions in all this is, you know, where's the deal? Yeah, I want to get deal. It's like, I don't remember the last deal I saw. I mean, again, if it's stuff right now is either selling or it's not selling. It's that simple, right? If it's selling, it's selling quickly and oftentimes in multiple offers because, you know, there's various reasons. But speaking to this point, it was priced correctly. If it's not selling, the number one reason for that, despite whatever other flaws or objections it may that property may have, is that it's just not priced correctly. So people that are looking for a, if you're really looking for a deal, you're going to need to be patient. Watch the days on market continue to tick up and up and up and, you know, go looking for that stuff that's been on the market for a long time. But the reality is that it's been on the market for a long time. They're not a real seller. They're not particularly motivated to sell. So that's, again, that's the biggest you know, I, there, that's the biggest misconception that I'm trying to sort of manage expectations on is trying to go out and find a deal, which there's just, it's, it's not this market. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll add to that. One of the reasons I love working with both of you guys is, is you both are true professional in a, in, a, in a way where you've always set the right expectations. You never went and, 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 and over-promised, you know, and, and tried to obviously fight for your clients. But, but you know, that's so important in, in this time and age because, Everyone is expecting so many things that they're just not attainable. So uh, thank you for, for, for doing that. Yeah. Thanks. One of the things too that I kind of forgot to mention is if you own a home right now and you're potentially interested in selling it, but it may need some work, right? It's just not a, it's not fully up to community standard or it, it's a little bit dated uh, and you're kind of trying to save money or wait to do some of those renovations before you sell it. Now we just rolled out a new kind of pre-sales renovation financing platform that essentially will allow us to help you finance all those upgrades and renovations prior to selling the home. And there's no cost, right? There, you don't pay any interest. There's no fees. Uh, we can go up to 75 to 80% of the value of the home. And so whether it's a couple thousand dollar paint job or staging all the way up to a you know kitchen remodel, bathroom remodel, um, don't let that stop you from you know, transitioning into the home that you want because you think that you may not get the highest price. We've we've really been able to help people maximize their return on their investment on their current property. So, uh, so you should give them a line of credit before, well, well, as they're selling it, just to do those repairs or you refinance beforehand. Oh. Correct. Yeah. No, it's not a refinance. You don't have to. You don't have to qualify for it. You legitimately say, hey, look, this is what we need to have done. The contractors will, you know, give a bid. And, you know, we'll finance that amount up to 75%. Um, again, no fees, no cost, no interest. When the transaction closes, the seller reaps the reward of the higher price and more of the proceeds of the sale. And then the, the, the second mortgage is then paid off, but there was no, didn't cost the seller anything. That's amazing. It's a huge value add. Yeah. 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 Um, cool. So I'm going to see if we have any questions. I'm going to open it up uh, for some question. I don't know if Alan can do that for us. Love Davey's picture. Yeah. <laughs> Davey, new way of working from home, probably scaling down of traditional office users. What impact do you see that having on shared office operator? Uh, we work, right? Yeah, I think they were already in trouble before the pandemic. Um, can't help them after. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. It's a good it's question. Like, what do you mean? Was any, who's going to a shared office space right now? Well, there could be, I mean, again, assuming the world heals, there could be an upside there, right? Because, you know, maybe you give up your bigger, you know, square footage office and you just rent a few of those, right? For people to come to work when they need to, to meet clients when they need to, to do presentations when they need to. So again, you know, whether the actual building creates their own versions of it or whether those shared office operators 
you know, create more of a, a system around that. It, we, there could be an upside there. I could see that. I definitely agree with that. Again, I mean, there's, you know, it's hard to know what the future looks like in terms of like, okay, so sanitizing those spaces in between different groups coming in and so forth. But, but people will, will figure that part out. I mean, that's just sort of, that's the X's and O's and we'll figure that out. Um, but yeah, if companies are going to be getting rid of these, you know, larger spaces that they, um, you know, have a hundred percent of because they just don't need it that, you know, at that same sort of level, then those kinds of spaces could potentially become valuable if someone really finds a great way to, to, to work through the, you know, the sort of challenges that, that we can all think of right now. Yep. Yeah. Goes back to maybe an opportunity down the road, as you said, John, in a few months or a couple of years, you know, when you're going to get through this and how do you repurpose some of these spaces and figure sure. out what the new iteration of a post-COVID world look like, you know? Yeah, and not everybody wants to work from home. I can tell you my employees would tell you that. <laughs> I mean, they have kids at home and distractions and they don't have a great work environment and it's like they would love to get to the office and thankfully we're a you know we're a an organ or a, a group that is considered necessary and so our office is open so people can go there and they are going there they're just keeping distance and um so yeah i mean there, there'll be a ton of people who need a place to go it's just a matter of if the employer wants to take down that whole space or just smaller versions of it yep um Ryan, speak a little more about loan with no fees for remodeling. How do you make money on that? Yeah, so essentially what the financing company does is they uh, they get their fee from the contractor, right? And so, and you can use your own contractor. You, know, you can use you know to, to get bids against it. Essentially, it's it, it's used for people who who either don't want to access the money or don't don't have access to the money. And so essentially what happens is a normal contractor would pay anywhere from five to 10% of their operating expense on marketing. And so if the finance company can just give them jobs and the, the contractor doesn't have to pay the expense of finding that job, they would pay the financing company, you know, a portion of the, of the job. Right. And so, and the, the first question we get asked is, so is the contractor inflating the cost and is that costing me money? Short answer is no, because you can comp it out against any contractor that wants to participate. Um, so it creates this kind of competitive marketplace for contractors to stay in, the, in within range of competitiveness while still keeping the cost of that renovation outside of your scope. Um, and ultimately allowing you to earn more on the, on the financing or on the, on the sale of the home. So uh, it's just an interesting way of the financing company offering that, that capability of doing it while not charging you and the contractor participates in the cost. Great. It's awesome program. Yeah. Any more questions? Yeah, I think we're, uh, I think we're good on questions. I really appreciate you guys taking the time again. Um, stay safe. Ryan, enjoy your time in Tahoe. John, hopefully I'll see you soon. Hope so. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, thanks again, guys. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Take care. Talk Bye. soon.